Welcome to the Geniusnomics, our journey to build an open and inclusive world for challenging the status quo. Today, conversation with Jake Orlevitz from Wikipedia Library. We talk about fake news, disinformation, digital citizens, and building of a human-centered web. Okay, gotcha. Uh, before we jump into our main topic, is disinformation, uh, misinformation, and your action against uh, we, uh, with actions, and both in general and current situation, I would love to ask you about um, the current scope of Wikipedia in terms of the amount of editors you currently have and um, contributors, people who actively contribute something on a uh, general basis. And do you see some kind of a um, uh, change of in numbers, not only in terms of readers, but people who try to contribute new articles, including data regarding uh, epidemics? Uh, sure. So I'll start with uh, the COVID article, just to give you a sense. Um, there is a single table, like a, a chart on the COVID article that lists the number of deaths from each country. Uh, this single table is incredibly complicated to keep up to date. Um, it involves uh, hourly changes. Um, it requires finding uh, reliable sources for each piece of data. Um, and it requires uh, dozens of editors updating uh, hundreds of countries in near real time. And the public is coming to find those those statistics because that at, where you know at the end of the day how many people are dying is is the number that matters. Of course, there are social effects and economic effects, but when it comes to life and death, that table is it. And that table is one of the most active tables we've ever had. Um, it's incredibly difficult to edit. Uh, because so many people are trying to change it at the same time, and it's because it's so complicated. Um, but there is a horde of very, very experienced editors keeping that table up to date. And some of them are uh, medical doctors, some of them are scientists, some of them are template experts, uh, because our tables are templates by, uh, by code design, um, which is just a, an English-specific formatting framework, uh, or rather a Wikipedia-specific formatting framework. So uh, to zero in really closely, the COVID article has um, a high number of editors, um, but I do want to emphasize that it's not higher than other articles about crises or popular events or uh, current happenings. Um, I think something that I want to make pretty clear, and this is um, something that I, I say um, I like to say, it's, it, it's good, is people always think that Wikipedia is facing an unprecedented crisis. You know, oh, we haven't had COVID, um, so Wikipedia must be overwhelmed. Or, um, you know, there's there's a sudden um, political revolution, and uh, it's changed the course of history. Um, we've handled breaking news and complicated 
social, economic, philosophical, uh, even religious uh, events and debates for 20 years now, almost 20 years. Um, And when people think that Wikipedia has a new crisis, we do have problems, but they're rarely new. Um, We have this information immune system this ability to respond to different crises or threats. And it's grown over two decades of being bombarded with almost every conceivable scenario. So from elections to, um, you know, uh, nature, natural catastrophes, global warming and evolution debates, the war on drugs, celebrity scandals, political elections and revolutions. We've been doing this for 20 years. And when a new issue like coronavirus comes along, Um, It may seem new in scale in the public consciousness, but in terms of the dynamics of what's required to maintain that content on Wikipedia, um, it's actually not that new. Um, And so it doesn't require a massive influx of editors. Uh, What it requires is a coordinated group of a small number of very responsible editors. And that's what we see on our articles about breaking news um, is that there will be, it's kind of like a pyramid. You'll have, say, hundreds or even thousands of people trying to contribute small pieces, and then there'll be uh, an organic, not not an appointed group of leaders, but or an organically emerged group of maybe, say, five to ten editors who are very present, who kind of understand the history of the discussion, and uh, are deeply engaged, and are kind of charting the course for how decisions are made. Um, so they are, um, they're, they're leaders, but not by, but not by rank or status. They're leaders by the value that they bring to the discussions. And they're kind of, they're, they're seen as steady hands. So when an issue is unclear, you know, these are the editors who will try to provide guidance and, uh, chart the course for making a decision. If someone does something that's rash, that doesn't reflect consensus, the agreement of most editors on the page, or isn't aligned with Wikipedia policy, these leaders may undo that change. And they will bring it to the discussion page of Wikipedia. Every article has its own talk page. And they will say, you know, this idea is too bold. It needs to be discussed. Or they'll say, there's no support for this. Let's wait until there are more references that support this. And so it's it's that small, dedicated group of editors, um, that pyramid, uh, which, again, is it's not by rank. It's just by natural evolution. Uh, they are the most important. And it, it doesn't require a million editors to write the articles on coronavirus. It maybe requires a thousand. And of those... 20 are going to be extremely highly active. So we see this Z curve, this power curve that you get with a lot of internet content where most editors, most so most readers are contributing nothing. Most editors are, are re- editing very rarely. Then you'll have a group of editors that are read, uh, an even smaller group of editors that are doing some small consistent editors edits. And then a very, very small fraction of editors who are doing a huge number of edits. Um, and so when you look at it, it's a pyramid. There's a, there's thousands of editors contributing content. They matter. But you also have this small group that's doing a whole lot of organizing work. Um, they're directing traffic and they're making decisions. And um, they play an enormous role. It's, it's, the, it's the interplay between the masses, the many, and um, 
I, you know, I, I hesitate to use any words that imply power, but it's like there's the many and the masters. And the masters have no rank, they have no title, they have no extra power. But the, the community in this discussion has identified them organically as those who are wise enough to make good decisions. And the many inputs flow into this and help um, provide kind of the bulk of content. And then it gets filtered and organized and curated um, by an increasingly smaller number of people. Um, who are much more intimately connected to the content and have in some ways taken deep personal responsibility for what is going on the page. Um, so that is a very long answer to uh, just a small part of your question. Let me step way, way, way back um, and just give you the baseline stats. So um, English Wikipedia, and I'll, I'll give you a couple different examples. There, there are over... 300 different language versions of Wikipedia. So there's not just English, there's, um, you know, almost, well, there's 7,000 languages in the world. Only 300 of them have Wikipedia. Only about 100 of those are significantly active. Um, so again, you see that power curve. And of course, English Wikipedia is the most active in the world, as English is the most spoken language and most read language on the internet. But um, in terms of editors, those who make more than five editor edits a month, which is what our definition of an active editor, there's 70,000 active English Wikipedia editors. Now, for context, German Wikipedia has 10,000 active editors. Arabic Wikipedia has 1,000 active editors. Hindi Wikipedia has only 400 active editors. And the Cherokee Nation, Cherokee language in the U.S., Cherokee Wikipedia has under five active editors. So the bigger communities have many more editors and the smaller communities have um, uh, a startlingly low number of editors. And they're somewhat proportional to the number of articles and the amount of content. Um, but you, what you see is that some of these languages don't reflect the amount of people in the country. The number of Hindi speakers is enormous, but they have uh, you know, a fraction of the number of uh, English language editors. Um, Arabic is spoken by um, hundreds of millions of people, um, maybe a billion, and yet it only has a thousand active editors. And so you see this disparity. Uh, it's across the entire internet. Uh, English is the dominant language of the internet, and it is not reflective of what is spoken by the majority of the world. And this is a systemic bias problem that's way beyond Wikipedia, but it's present on Wikipedia. Uh, English Wikipedia gets most of the attention, even though English is um, not the majority spoken language in the world. It may be dominant in some way. It may be a lingua franca that's spoken by, you know, as a second language by the most people. But um, the number of editors in other languages besides English does not reflect generally the number of people who speak that language. Um, so, uh, again, it's so important that people understand Wikipedia as um, uh, not a hierarchy. Um, but there, there is a group of Wikipedia editors, this very, very small group. Uh, it's under 2,000 people who are called administrators. They've been appointed rather elected by the community. Um, and they have certain special powers. Um, they can block other editors and they can add protections to pages. So fewer editors can edit those pages um, depending on uh, their experience and activity level. So they can, they can slow down or protect pages if they're under attack and they can, um, you know, uh, pause or hinder or, 
you know, completely uh, eradicate the harmful actors. Um, these uh, administrators have no special voice when it comes to what gets said on the page. They're only there to deal with um, issues of behavior uh, and issues of kind of the integrity, not even the integrity, just the, the functionality of an article. Um, so you take a look at the proportion. There's 70,000 English Wikipedia active editors and only 2,000 administrators. Um, and they're, they're not gods. They're, they're not the masters. They are, I mean, they've, they've gained the community's trust and been appointed or, uh, you know, they've been nominated and elected to be these administrators. I happen to be one of them. Um, when you look at the breakdown, it's, it's closer to 1,500 administrators. And when you, when you look at the number of active administrators, because we've had administrators uh, for 20 years, it's more like 500 administrators. So you have 500 administrators, people with special powers, um, you know, that are not uh, all that influential, um, out of 70,000 active editors. And this group is overseeing 10 billion page views per month. They are in charge of, so to speak, again, not with rank or special uh, authority, but they are are responsible for, we call, we call administrators janitors. They're responsible for cleaning up the mess of 5 million edits, individual edits, on almost 2 million different pages every month. So... Whereas on an individual article, there may be a group that has uh, really come together to coordinate. When it comes to the uh, Wikipedia as a whole, um, the bottom of the period pyramid is much wider, um, and the top is very small. And again, this isn't about power and rank. It's just about numbers. Um, when you look at all of English Wikipedia, the early research has shown that the majority of the content is produced by the masses. So you get lots and lots of uh, edits coming in and a smaller number of people curating that content and a few dealing with just the hardest decisions. Um, so that is kind of the nature of Wikipedia and it, the numbers reflect um, both global bias and popularity and also the um, kind of the inherent governance philosophy of the site, which is it's not quite a democracy, it's not quite an anarchy, but it's definitely not a hierarchy. By the way, you mentioned that uh, currently you have some kind of a disproportion between uh, big nations like, for instance, India and the amount of uh, uh, editors. So in, uh, in some cases, countries like the U.S., uh, English-speaking people in the U.S. have a more presence um, in terms of editors. So my question is, based on your statistic, do you feel that, uh, uh, for instance, uh, some big nations... Uh, come up with more amount of uh, ingenuine or maybe fake news because there is a lack of editors or people who control it. For instance, uh, there is a, some um, troll fabric from Russia who provide the world with a, uh, fake news in politics field and there is a lack of actual editors uh, from, with, from Eastern Europe, for instance, who are actually involved in this process. Or there is no any correlation, basically. You're the predominant operating system in computing. Uh, you're the biggest target for viruses and fishers and trollers and scammers. Um, uh, you know, it used to be Microsoft had all the bugs. Now Mac is under attack. I'm sure Chromebooks will eventually be under attack. Um, you know, so the bigger you are, the more of a target you are because the more potential reward there is from swaying or uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, penetrating that 
those barriers. So English Wikipedia is definitely um, under attack, constant attack, and an attack by quite uh, potentially powerful interests or uh, coordinated interests. And I can talk a little bit more about that um, uh, for sure. Um, but English Wikipedia also has the most editors and the most sophisticated tools, so they're better positioned to respond. Now, smaller communities face a different kind of proportion of the same fundamental problem. Um, very small communities can't monitor all of their pages. So a small community might have uh, 500,000 pages. Some of them are just created by bots. You know, there, there are articles about every species or every city. Um, they're not even created by humans. They're just created by some uh, automated, um, you know, kind of algorithmic, but, you know, human written, human overseen tool. Um, and so you might have uh, 500 editors and a million articles. Um, and that's a lot to monitor. Um, so it's possible um, that in a small community, you just don't have the oversight capacity. Um, it's also possible in a small community that the community itself becomes corrupted. Um, you know, it's, it's much easier to kind of take over, uh, kind of have a coup uh, when there are only 50 editors versus when there are um, 100,000 editors. It's very difficult to to sway the course of all of English Wikipedia, whereas on some smaller, say, Eastern European wikis, um, you know, a very dedicated and well-coordinated group can grasp power. Um, and so to come back to your question, you mentioned Russia. Um, you know, there, uh, there have been Russian disinformation attempts. Uh, Russia is so upset with Wikipedia, in fact, that they've um, kind of threatened to create their own Russian wiki. We'll see how popular that becomes. Um, but I'm sure that that wiki would be consistent with the Russian uh, government's views on things, whereas uh, English Wikipedia has no national point of view. Um, I also want to just make a distinction because it's commonly... Um, Kind of conflated there is no such thing as a national wikipedia so um there's no egyptian wikipedia there is an arabic wikipedia and there's no north american or u.s wikipedia there's uh, an english wikipedia and every language is supposed to contain the sum of the world's knowledge so it's not the case that only thai wikipedia has articles about thai cities uh, english wikipedia should have those articles too um, in fact, the problem that we see is that many articles about Thailand, for, you know, for example, um, are written by English speakers. They're written by folks who live in the U.S. and uh, Western Europe. The majority of our content on all languages, on all subjects, is written by a relatively small number of people in the U.S., Canada, and Western Europe. And this has enormous implications for what we call systemic bias. You know, the people with the who are closest to the subject are often not writing about it. And from an academic point of view, yes, we are all, you know, perhaps uh, some would argue we're all potential uh, potentially objective, and it doesn't matter where you're from. Um, I think there's a, a kind of postmodern rebuttal to that, which is, of course, uh, we have biases, and the closer we are to a subject. The more familiar we are, the better able we are to describe that universe and to understand what's important in that universe and to um, map and reflect the the territory um, of of the of reality uh, in that issue. So um, 
when it comes to disinformation in smaller wikis, what you have is a proportional problem. Um, it's possible that some smaller wikis have been targeted by uh, larger countries. We know we know for sure it's happened. Um, I'll talk about the ambiguities in in what we don't know. Um, but again, it's it's much less impactful to corrupt Thai Wikipedia than to corrupt English Wikipedia. And it's much harder to corrupt English Wikipedia than it is Thai Wikipedia. So both communities face challenges and they're somewhat proportional to their ability to respond. Um, one point that I do want to make is, and I think you'll, you're interested in this generally, is larger wikis tend to have tools, more tools. Some of them are semi-automated, some of them are fully automated, and they require a level of technical expertise to build and deploy and monitor that um, simply requires a certain size, uh, a certain um, size base and of expertise, technical expertise, which is quite different than uh, editing content expertise. And so the larger Wikipedia is part of the reason that they have an outsized ability to respond to threats. It's not just because they have more editors, it's because they have more editors and also more tools. And some of those tools do have um, machine learning characteristics. Uh, some of those tools do incorporate machine assistance, which is then combined with human, uh, human review or human curation. And uh, the larger wikis, like English Wikipedia, have the most tools built for them, whereas the smaller wikis, those tools may be technically available, but there's no one to deploy them, run them, maintain them, and fix them if they uh, go awry. So you have a disparity in not just the amount of interest in corrupting a wiki, the amount of impact in corrupting a wiki, but also the uh, ability to respond both in number of editors and also in the sophistication of tools. Okay. Uh, you mentioned that there is a growing number of the content and articles, spe specifically in smaller wiki, which uh, contributed for some kind of bots or automation. So my question is related to the growing of uh, popularity of the methods like uh, NLP and uh, national language processing. So uh, do you think that in case of a growing of automation of content production and some kind of a uh, fake news attack, uh, it's harder to rely uh, only on the manual editing in content curation, and you will be more tools and more uh, focus on machine learning and, and some kind of imitation of human cu uh, curation approach, or you are ready to uh, still rely on manual and actual human curation? So um, there's this uh, phenomenal um, article by a... Um, a computer uh, ethnographer, um, someone who studies kind of the um, the interactions of automation and and bots. Uh, his name is Stuart Geiger, and he wrote an article about the ecosystem of bots on Wikipedia and how the bots relate to each other. Um, so there's this community, this almost human-like community of bots. Um, and then there's this uh, deeply human community of, uh, of humans. Um, and I think the, the point I want to emphasize is that, um, you know, after the first couple of years where there was, uh, you know, just, just a very small group of, of people in, you know, say 2001 and 2002 in the very early days of Wikipedia. But by the time you hit 2005, you have a significant number of editors and an increasing um, or proportionately increasing number of tools. So for most of Wikipedia's history, uh, it's 
both. It's been both tools and humans. Um, I'm tempted to say this is a little bit of a fudge, but it's always been both, and it will become more both. We're never going to get rid of the human role in doing this work. It is tremendously complex, uh, and it requires editorial discretion at almost every step. But we're also increasing the size and scope of our projects. And as we do that, tools become ever more valuable and vital. So let me give you an example. Um, vandalism uh, has been a problem on Wikipedia since the beginning. Vandalism is not seen as uh, necessarily misinformation or disinformation. It's more just like, you know, trying to um, uh, do vandalism, break a window or uh, do graffiti on a bus or, you know, you know, throw throw a rock uh, at a billboard. It's it's kind of pointless, um, but nonetheless harmful. And it's often done by you know, say kids who are uh, forced to look at Wikipedia in school, or some by someone you know in the middle of the night and they're bored, or it's done by a teacher who uh, wants to show their class that look, anyone can edit this thing. You shouldn't trust it. Um, and so I want to just walk you through. Uh, what I call the gauntlet of protection for something like vandalism. So what what makes Wikipedia work is this combination of bots, uh, learning tools, and humans. And it, it is not one or the other. That's a false binary, and it will never be just one or the other. Um, but so here's this gauntlet. Someone makes an edit, and it's absolutely true that with the exception of a very small number of articles that ha have received page protection, very small number, uh, that in, in, in spirit and in practice, every single article is free for any person to edit. So the doors are open. But I describe this gauntlet because what, what makes an edit matter is not that it hits the page, but that it sticks on the page. Because anyone can put anything on any article on Wikipedia, but how long does it last? Does it last a second? Does it last five minutes? Does it last ten years? Um, and so, and 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 how many people see this uh, vandalism or or even misinformation? Because uh, it's it's harder to edit. It's harder to manipulate or vandalize a, a highly watched article than it is some some page that no one ever looks at. You know. Um, so the first thing that we have is regex pattern matching. So these are very uh, basic uh, kind of text characteristic tools. They're not particularly smart. Um, they look for patterns in the actual like Unicode of which characters are there and not there. And they use regex to actually reject edits before they even hit the page. So the example I use is, is someone writes boobs, 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 boobs with 15 exclamation points. That's going to hit uh, an edit rejection filter that has a list of both quote unquote, bad words, you know, words that would almost never be appropriate for um, an encyclopedia, although Wikipedia doesn't shy away from quote unquote taboo subjects. There are certain words that would just not be encyclopedic. Um, and then it's looking at something like 15 exclamation points, which again would almost never be appropriate unless it was uh, a piece of art that was named 15 exclamation points. So we have these edit filters that reject um, kind of the most obvious problems. Um, after that, the the edit has hit the page. It is live. It is live for the whole world to see. Um, but it's in no way done being reviewed. So there's this constant 
review process happening. Um, and the next level that it hits, there's a bot. The bot is called Cluebot, C-L-U-E. Um, our term on Wikipedia for kind of intelligent uh, awareness and decision-making is Clue. This person has Clue, is a great compliment. If you ever are called Clueful, that is uh, a high praise. So Cluebot um, is a uh, neural network, machine learning, vandalism, detection, and reversion bot. And there's kind of a running joke that uh, Cluebot is faster than you are. So if you're a human vandalism detector and you use a tool that shows you a list of likely suspicious edits, so machine-assisted rather than uh, machine-automated, if you're using one of these machine-assisted tools and it says, hey, look at this edit, it looks suspicious, by the time you look at it, it's likely that Cluebot has already undone that edit. Cluebot has been running for a decade or more. It's incredibly fast. It's been trained on hundreds of thousands of data points, and it's constantly retraining itself. Um, now, Cluebot was created by a volunteer. It was not created by the staff of the nonprofit. Um, it's not a proprietary code. And, you know, it, the bot itself is approved by the community itself. So you've got automated filters, and then you've got machine learning bots that are just, they're crawling all over. To get past the bots, it's like getting through one of those, you know, laser security systems. You have to... Um, you have to be pretty smart or you have to be unproblematic, <clears throat> excuse me, to get through them. Um, a next level is even even more, quote unquote, machine assisted rather than machine executed. <coughs> <clears throat> so again, we have these uh, neural network and uh, decision tree based scoring models. Now, scoring is separate from scoring by nature is about providing an estimation so this is a tool or an algorithm that, that scores edits, and it provides that scores to humans. So we have a, a tool that was partly um, developed by the nonprofit that runs, uh, the, say, the servers on Wikipedia, which is called the Wikimedia Foundation. Um, it's a small nonprofit, three or 400 people. It's not the community. It doesn't control the content, but it does do some things like build tools. Um, and I used to work there. So for full disclosure, I worked there for about uh, six years. Um, and so what this tool called uh, ORES, or I call it ORES, O-R-E-S, it, it, it provides scores for every single individual edit. And then it, the score reflects uh, based on um, hundreds or even thousands of, of factors, as uh, neural networks do, um, and as machine learning algorithms do, use many, many, many factors. Um, and, it, and it's trained on data sets, and then it's validated, and then it's retrained on based on its um, performance. Uh, ORES provides a score based on how likely suspicious an edit is. You know, how, what priority is it for a human to look at? And so this is greatly helpful for our uh, article monitors. You know, and these are editors who've just taken upon themselves to keep an eye on thousands or tens of thousands of articles. Um, or if I'm watching an individual article, if I'm monitoring an individual article and subject, um, I can look at the history of all the edits to that specific page, and ORS will tell me which edits I should check first. So if an article has a lot of activity, um, you can check every single edit. Every single edit on Wikipedia is recorded and public. So this is, this is how it works. It doesn't work by having walls. It works by having no walls. 
Um, and this reflects um, the, the aphorism that many bugs, uh, sorry, excuse me, many eyes make all bugs shallow. This is uh, a maxim of the open source movement that, you know, if you think proprietary code is safer, you know, you should try open source code because nothing is more dangerous than kind of uh, the, uh, the false security you get from thinking your code is locked because it's never really locked. Um, and once people get in, you have a false sense of security, you have a false sense of obscurity, and then it's really damaging. But with open source code and with open edit uh, encyclopedias, you have no walls. And because of that, many more people can monitor very quickly. And most importantly, edits, sorry, errors get fixed quickly. There's uh, a story that I um, uh, love to retell. Um, there's a lot of medical content on Wikipedia. Uh, tens of thousands of articles, and we have some prolific medical editors. Uh, some of the mostly read writers in the world on medicine are Wikipedia editors. Some of them are my good friends. Some of them are on the board of the nonprofit. And um, so this one editor uh, named Doc James uh, runs an emergency room in Canada, and he edits Wikipedia uh, as much as he can. And he checked a textbook and the textbook, a medical textbook, had an error uh, in the dosing recommendations for a drug. It was 10 times greater than the actual recommended dose. So this was a deadly error, a fatal error. And Doc James called the publisher of the book and the, told them about the error. And they said, we're sorry, but we only ran one version of this book. We're never going to reprint it. There's no way we can change it. Well, when that happens on Wikipedia, when an error is pointed out, say, in the media or a newspaper or just on the talk page or someone just sees it, it can be fixed within seconds. And so the notion that proprietary or uh, something that's based in authority and prestige and credentials, the notion that it is more secure, it's a false sense of security. Um, you can get just as much or better reliability from having something which is able to be seen by many, transparent, able to be edited by many, open, and able to be fixed quickly, so changeable, editable. Um, and this is the essence of what makes Wikipedia reliable. And the relationship between tools and humans is that tools reduce the number of edits that humans need to look at so that humans can focus their precious decision-making and discretion on um, what machines can't do. And so it's it's not like uh, the um, the singularity model where humans evolve into machines and machines actually become the new species. It's much more like the uh, um, augmentation model where humans, you know, have some attachments and some some things they wear or even some things that they implant in them that uh, that improve their capacity, um, but don't erase who they are. You know, humans are all and always will be the core of Wikipedia. Um, and that to, to wrap this up into your question and just move on to the next subject, um, the the most important um, reviewer of content on Wikipedia is the reader, because if there's seventy thousand editors and um, you know uh, a billion readers, then 
what you have is so many eyeballs. And the brilliant thing about Wikipedia is if you're a reader and you come across something and you know a little bit about it, or you look it up and you're like, ah, that doesn't make any sense. Let me check. Um, you can fix that instantaneously and you don't have to ask permission from anyone. In fact, we have this, this motto. When people complain that something's wrong on Wikipedia, we say, so fix it. There's no, there's no one you have to ask permission for to fix this. Um, you know, and it's that, it's that encouraged boldness. Uh, there's another motto on Wikipedia, which is to be bold. If you see something wrong, if you see th something which you can improve, go fix it. You know, this is why we're here. We're here to each contribute what we can. We're not here to, um, to fight. We're here to, to create this tool which shares the sum of all human knowledge. And in order to do that, we need many hands. And we need those hands to have a good deal of freedom and, in, and independence in how they approach these both difficult problems and also massive number of problems. Okay, now let's jump to uh, the topic of the coronavirus um, and fake news, um, but deeper. Uh, recently, we spent a talk uh, where we discussed uh, that while we have many problems uh, related to this topic, one of the biggest problems is a basically awareness. So while we have information what we need to do what people should do what like how we should keep lockdown uh, period so basically uh some people who've been involved uh, in some kind of whatsapp groups facebook groups where we found some kind of a, uh, fake news like uh, with virus is a completely not dangerous or this virus were incubated uh, in China or it was incubated by uh, the US. Tons of different disinformation would uh, make people completely lost in this situation. So that's why, for instance, uh, I have peers in different countries in South Africa, Kenya, everything is okay because there is no any disinformation. People just uh, go in lockout and uh, just keep instruction. At the same time, in some developed countries, people involved in discussion, in myths and rumors, and they actually uh, go beyond uh, uh, normal uh, regulation. So my question is, um, what kind of a disinformation, fake news you have found over this period? What kind of a publications, articles, and what kind of motives you explored beyond this uh, fake news? Uh, what goals uh, people, organization, I don't know, bots pursued in this situation? Why they shared this bullshit? Yes, so this is a great question. And I have four or five different things to say about it. Um, uh, the first is personal when i entered wikipedia in 2007 as a volunteer um, i believed that good information could benefit humanity that if you just gave people good information we could solve the most complex problems and what the last decade has shown is that good information is not enough and it's not enough for two reasons one people don't always read that information and two, they often are bombarded with bad information that creates doubt or uh, inserts you know, inaccuracies into their understanding. So I have become a little bit less optimistic, I think, as many who have watched the social media space, that uh, it is not enough to just connect people. It's not enough to have experts. It's not enough to have good information. You also need defenses against bad information. So that's the first thing I want to say. We are we are learning that um, 
to be healthy is to have defenses. Uh, it's not just a state of being good and working. You need to be ready to face the bad. Um, now, as I said, Wikipedia has this advanced immune system that it's developed from two decades of being attacked. Uh, so we have um, very robust defenses against many, but certainly not all, instances of people trying to uh, sway, bias, or corrupt an article. Um, so the first thing is, if you want to get good information that reflects the top expertise in the world, you go to the coronavirus article itself. Now, the sources that are being approved for use on those articles by the community um, are extremely high quality. They're coming from the Centers for Disease Control. They're coming from the World Health Organization. They're coming from um, the uh, John Hopkins University. They're coming from the most uh, reliable universities, uh, health organizations, research labs in the world. So when you want to find good information, you're going to find it on Wikipedia. Um, that article is, the coronavirus article, is so highly viewed. Um, it is so well watched. It is so curated um, that uh, very, 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 it's very difficult to sway it even a little bit away from uh, the consensus of experts. Um, and we, what we find is that this is true on even very controversial subjects. So just as a related example, um, Barack Obama and George W. Bush were extremely controversial figures. Um, in different respects, in different ways from different parts of the, the U.S. Um, their articles have been evaluated by political experts and, um, and scholars, and those articles were found to be less biased than less viewed articles about politicians. So the more controversial and the more popular something is on Wikipedia, it tends to be less biased, again, because you have more eyeballs on it. So if you want to find good information on about coronavirus, you should come to Wikipedia and read that article because the community standards combined with the community scale and the scale of readers makes it incredibly unlikely that any bad information will get in, let alone stick. Now, to your point about misinformation uh, and kind of myths about dis misinformation, disinformation, and intentional myths about coronavirus, um, you know, it is common it is expected that people will try to put in bad information into a Wikipedia article. So I, I, I don't want to downplay the attempts, but I want to emphasize that they're almost trivial. Because when someone does it, you know, it's like trying to sneak into a room that a million people are watching. It's incredibly obvious what's going on. Someone's going to call you out. Someone's going to lock the door. So uh, that's true on an article like coronavirus. Uh, now, Wikipedia serves an even more sophisticated purpose, which in addition to the article on coronavirus, among those 200 articles about coronavirus on English Wikipedia, 200 plus, there is an article about coronavirus misinformation. There is an article just about the myths. So not only can you get good information, you can get rebuttals of the bad information. So if you search for coronavirus myths on Wikipedia, you get directed to this article, misinformation related to the 2019, 20, 2019 to 2020 coronavirus pandemic. And that article cata um, catalogs and then rebuts every single conspiracy theory that you can imagine. Whether uh, the conspiracy is that this was a Chinese biological weapon or the theory that this was um, 
created by Jews, uh, some global, you know, Semitic conspiracy, or that the world elite are trying to control the population, you know, uh, whatever, um, whatever you can imagine, um, whether it's uh, kind of global conspiracy or something, um, you know, more uh, kind of obscure, like that, um, you know, the, the death tolls are incorrect, or there's a vaccine that already exists, or cocaine can cure coronavirus, um, uh, you know, or that, uh, you know, your average vodka can kill coronavirus. Like, uh, almost every every aspect of Wiki, misinformation and myth, it, it's not that just that Wikipedia doesn't include them in the articles. We actually document the myths in a separate article. Um, so if you're confused, and then look, what Wiki, Wikipedia doesn't do something unique in the internet ecosystem. If you search for information on coronavirus on Google, you're going to get good content. If you search for coronavirus myths, you're going to get dozens of articles that catalog the top myths. But what Wikipedia does uniquely well is put all of them together in one place where it's consistently high quality. And you don't have to go through um, the judgment every single time of, is this a good source or not? Because more often, far more often than not, Wikipedia is going to give you good information on high importance topics. And, uh, you know, it's, it's fascinating to see Wikipedia not just um, provide good information, but acknowledge the bad information in the world. And again, we, we have this belief that we don't get more secure by relying on obscurity or censorship. You know, we don't hide the myths. We describe the myths. We don't endorse the myths, of course, but we acknowledge that there, we acknowledge where there is not consensus, and we acknowledge when there are lies. Um, we do it from this slightly kind of overviewing perspective, but it's absolutely remarkable that Wikipedia has cataloged as many myths as have been reported in the news. And this is a very valuable service for the public and for people who, are, who care about public health and media literacy. Because if you're uh, a public health official, it's difficult to even keep track of how much misinformation there is out there. It's difficult to try and debunk everything. And what Wikipedia is doing is providing a summary of good information and then even a summary of bad information. And this makes me so proud to be a Wikipedian at this moment in time. Um, and it makes me, uh, in another way, giddy with excitement that we take this so seriously. And that we are not afraid of any kind of content or information. Um, this is really a critical thing to understand about Wikipedia, that it's not censored. Um, we have had documented, um, you know, generally public, uh, but there's many more than have been reported, examples of governments coming to Wikipedia, to the nonprofit, or to individual editors and saying, you have to take out this piece of information. You must do this. This is an order from our government or our intelligence agency. Never, never, ever, ever do we comply with that unless it violates the law in the U.S. It, to the extent that Wikipedia has been blocked in China for much of the last decade, to the extent that Turkey blocked all of Wikipedia for years because whatever they wanted changed, we said, 
Sorry, Wikipedia is not censored. We are not willing to make compromises on the integrity of information to comply with your government's views, perspectives, or policies. Wikipedia is independent and transparent and not censored. Um, you know, there is, the, there is the reality that Wikipedia's servers exist in the United States. The nonprofit is incorporated in the United States. Um, that's intentional. It's because freedom of speech in the United States is more robust than almost anywhere else in the world. So, yes, we have to comply with U.S. law. There is no such thing as uh, a nation with no laws where this could be, where this could exist. Um, but the organization uh, refuses to comply with any request that it doesn't have to comply with. And that includes when it comes from the government of another nation. Even if that nation is going to block Wikipedia for millions of people. And that is, that is a loss to those people. But more important is the integrity of Wikipedia uh, in the long term. I believe you mentioned an uh, amazing thing that you have not only a coronavirus-related article, but also article that is a compilation of myths and uh, some kind of a fake news about this topic. So I have a related question about um, digital literacy and responsibility. I believe that there is no any doubt that your editors and people who involved in the Wikipedia movement and open source movement itself are more or less uh, have a knowledge about how to be responsible on the web, how to deal with fake news, how to uh, distinguish, uh, to how to find out what is not correct or some kind of disinformation. So how do you think uh, do we need to maybe uh, some additional promotion of such articles, I mean, a collection of myths, or how to be educated about uh, fake news? For instance, Finland tried to educate kids at schools how to be aware of fake news. There is a whole project in the UK, it's called Detective Dot, is it create books. Um, for kids, so maybe we need to publish uh, a book like a coronavirus myths or, or some kind of special promo for such articles. So I think what you're getting at is a, uh, a very close to my heart and what initially brought me to Wikipedia. It's not enough for people to get good information. They have to be educated in how to use it. They have to be educated in how to identify it. And they have to be trained in skills about how to distinguish good information from bad information. Um, and that is, a, that is an issue of education. So media literacy is uh, a skill that is going to be important to every human and every citizen. And it has to begin at a very young age. You know, it used to be that maybe by the time you were in high school, you would learn how to do Google searches. And in college, you would learn how to use academic journals. Um, and maybe uh, when you got out of college, you would start hearing about fake news and you know, learn that there are some good websites and some less good websites. Um, I think what we've seen and where things are trending is that this is not sufficient. Uh, we are losing the battle um, of misinformation and disinformation. Um, what I want to say about Wikipedia is that I knew more about media literacy, research literacy, digital literacy uh, after, uh, say, five years of editing than I knew after five years of college. Um, college taught me how to be a scholar, and Wikipedia taught me how to be an information citizen. 
So the process of editing Wikipedia itself is a constant education in how to evaluate sources. Um, to, to, the, to the essence of your question, people aren't born knowing how to evaluate or summarize information. These are learned skills. Um, you know, and writing an encyclopedia is not an inherent talent that some people have. You have to learn it. You know, some people bring uh, different in kinds of intelligence or subject background. Um, some people have worked on different kinds of writing before. Maybe they've written review articles. They've written book reports. They've done other kinds of things which are in some ways similar to writing an encyclopedia. Um, but no one has training in how to write uh, an encyclopedia of every subject in the world with every other human able to edit that content. So what do we do on Wikipedia? I think the first thing that we do is, um, I could put these in different order, but I want to put them in kind of reverse order of form formality. Uh, the first thing we do is talk to each other. So someone does something that is, doesn't make sense or is not appropriate, it's not correct, well, we talk to them. You know, whether it's on their individual user page or on the article talk page, we say, hey, that doesn't work because of this. We try to use reasoned arguments. Or are you aware that this source has a reputation for fake news? Or are you aware that this source has published many debunked articles in the last five years? Or are you aware that this scholarly paper was retracted? So we, um, I'm increasingly of the opinion that media literacy is, is a community phenomenon. It's kind of like, to really get a meta here, it's kind of like immunity to, um, to a virus. Um, you know, herd immunity, uh, the ability to be resilient against um, a biological um, threat, it's not all that different because, uh, as is commonly described, misinformation sp spreads, and we have this term, viral social media. There's, there's a very, very deep overlap and interconnection. It's, it's both poetic and terrifying um, of the way that information spreads. It's not from a, it's not from a book to a person anymore. You know, it's not just from uh, a priest to their congregation or uh, from an expert to their class, a teacher to their class. Uh, we are all living in this complicated ecosystem of information. And the first thing we have to do is, is talk to each other with good arguments. Now, of course, this is not enough because there's lots of talk. WhatsApp is a talk app. There's lots of talking on, on WhatsApp that is spreading bad information rather than correcting it. So... You have to go beyond just discourse. You have to have tutorials and training. And what Finland is doing with Detective Dot is a brilliant example of both uh, providing an accessible introduction and also starting early. Because, you know, uh, rumors spread on the playground at school. You know, um, kids are exposed to information. Humans are learning how to judge good information from bad, how to evaluate the reputation of other humans. Uh, from as, as early as they can can feel and think. As, as soon as they learn language, they are starting to judge what is true and what is not true. And you can fool children. You know, there's a certain level of abstract thinking and ability to um, kind of synthesize and also uh, break down arguments that, you know, develops over time. But uh, that ability has to be worked and grown like a muscle. And if you don't learn it, you have you're very weak. Um, and in, a, in the community, you can't help. In fact, you may be like the person who is not doing proper social distancing, who's not wearing a mask. You may actually become a net negative to the ecosystem. 
even though you're not the virus, you are actually part of how it spreads. So we have to train people. Um, we have to train them in certain things. We have to train people to get their information as often as possible from the source rather than just from whoever whispers it. You know, there's this classic game of um, whisper down the lane, at least in the U.S. People sit in a line and one person says something, whispers it to the next person, <coughs> who whispers it to the next person and so on, all the way down the line. And then the person at the very end of the line says what they think it started as. And everyone laughs because of how much it's changed. Well, this is a hilarious game that has fatal consequences in the social media sphere. Because information gets slowly distorted over time, and then pretty soon you're dealing with something that is nothing like what it started as. So it's better to get your information from the source, from the person at the beginning of the line rather than the end of the line. So it's better to get information from the World Health Organization's website rather than from your friend who saw a blog post about it and shared it with someone else who reposted it on WhatsApp. So check the source. And it's a principle on Wikipedia to say where you got the information from. You know, where, what is the source of your information? Uh, yeah, I, I often mention that uh, currently we are going in completely new type of economy. There are uh, coding, robotics, AI, data science, uh, digital literacy, information literacy, uh, becomes kind of mainstream. It's not kind of specialization. It's something which uh, spread across the, the whole uh, ecosystem. You mentioned that now you feel that you're not just a scholar, you're an information citizen. So I have a question. How did, did you, do you feel that uh, how your work on Wikipedia, uh, dealing with tons of information, data, how your personal uh, life uh, was affected? I mean, do you try to spread your knowledge about information literacy, digital literacy across your family, friends, community? And how do you think how uh, maybe peers and people who are involved in Wikipedia could become some kind of evangelist of uh, with literacy in, in particular regions, in particular communities? That's a great question, uh, and I, I think we'll have to wrap up with this question because I, I need to um, get on to some of the other pressing tasks that are happening in this crazy time. Um, so I want to offer a couple examples of where Wikipedia has personally become a part of my philosophy um, and how I uh, attempted to spread it to others. Uh, now, the first example I want to give is deeply personal. Um, I've talked about it before, I've, um, so it's not like I'm revealing it here for the first time, but um, many people in my family, uh, and certainly myself, have struggled with mental illness. And mental illness is incredibly stigmatized. Uh, it's something that uh, often people never talk about. They deny it in themselves. They don't get treatment. If they get treatment, they don't admit it. And you have this epidemic of silence. Um, well, I hit a crisis point, and I wound up in a mental hospital when I was 28. And when I got out, I decided that the best thing I could do was to open my story rather than try and hide it. And I started blogging about mental health. Uh, I blog on Medium. Uh, I started writing. I wrote a book that I published on Kickstarter called Welcome to the Circle. And the book is creative writings from my heart about mental illness. And it's also 
good information about how to deal with some of the hardest problems that people face, both with themselves, their family members, and people they love. So I think a part of my personal philosophy has verged towards openness. And it's not a mistake that my journey on Wikipedia and Wikipedia's openness is parallel to my personal transparency. Um, the way that we end bugs, the way that we end stigma and suffering is not by hiding it. So that is probably the deepest example that I can give of how this has affected me. Um, I tell people about my uh, my mistakes and my uh, personal crises and my flaws. I don't I don't try, even though I've, I've gained a great reputation in the Wikipedia community, even though there are some people who have said that I'm a star or they admire me, um, I make sure to kind of take the glitter off and to show that I'm human. Um, and it's, it's not from some kind of noble humility. It's because I know that it's dangerous to think that some people are immune. It's like coronavirus. Nobody is immune. You know, it's when you think that you are safe, that you act recklessly, and you don't get help, and you make the problems worse for others. Now, I want to end with a humorous example, because it shows how much I am human. There is a, uh, I, I'm on active on Facebook. It's a great way. I, I'm not a huge fan of Facebook itself and its politics, um, but I'm very active on Facebook because I love the social connection and I love the groups. Wikipedians organize very much on Facebook, um, which is ironic because it's proprietary and closed source and corporate, but uh, it's easier to organize on, so we often use it. Um, well, I got an email from my uncle, who's a psychiatrist, and the email was really reassuring. The email from my uncle said, here's the information from John Hopkins about why washing your hands with soap is the best thing you can do and why everything else, here are its pluses and minuses. And it was such a reassuring article because the information was crisp and it was definitive and it was accessible. And I knew that it came from John Hopkins, which is one of the best universities and best medical schools in the United States. And I thought this information was so good that I shared it with my wife and we talked about it and how useful it was for 10 minutes. And then I thought this information is so good. I'm going to post it. I'm going to repost it on Facebook. And I did. And now you have to understand something about me. My role at the Wikimedia Foundation, pause for one second so I can tell my wife and then I'll come right back. Okay, and I just have to wrap in the last two minutes and finish the story. Has been the head of the Wikipedia library. I am the person that librarians look to to get information about Wikipedia. I have been responsible for programs to get librarians involved in editing Wikipedia. I have been responsible for getting... editor that article with from my uncle from john hopkins university and i reposted it on facebook and the first thing that happened within five minutes of me posting it was someone from my facebook network linking to snopes.com saying oh this has been debunked it's not from john hopkins most of it's wrong 
And was I embarrassed? A little, yes. But my bigger reaction was concern. Holy shit, look what I've done. I have been a part of the problem. And so um, I could have deleted the post. But instead, what I did was I put a big banner at the top of it and said, this information has been debunked. Beware. Beware of disinformation. Because I figured a lot of people had seen it, and I like to let my mistakes remain out there for other people to learn from. And, um, you know, another person commented on the post. They said, Jake, you're the Wikipedia librarian. How could you do this? And I just wrote back and I said, you know, at its heart, information literacy is a community phenomenon at its best. And the same is true of coronavirus. Uh, our, our immunity is a community phenomenon. We can only do this together. And it's the same lesson from Wikipedia as with epidemiology. And that is very much where I would like to end this.